0: I am a little sad. I was looking forward to seeing uh, RCC. Because I, I know many people who attend here. But uh, I guess this will have to do. <laughs> so uh, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Because God, your word is it's living and active, God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. <clears throat> and God, with your word... You feed us, you strengthen us, you nourish us, and you help us, dear God, to continue to seek you, to draw near to you, and to love you all the more. Lord, I pray that today as we dive into your word, that the gospel would be proclaimed, that your word would be clearly taught, that your people would be encouraged, comforted, and challenged. And help me, God, as I preach, that, Lord God, you would be glorified and magnified in this time. your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so, um, you know, this is the new year. And it looks like there's going to be a lot of similarity to the previous year, right? And you might imagine to yourself looking at this, you know, where's God? What's God doing? Or you could look throughout the world. And you hear about churches being closed, bulldozed, or even bombed. Um, you might hear more and more of people being, uh, declaring that the church is irrelevant, of people leaving the church in droves. And we might even see on TV or in movies the church being slandered, mocked, and ridiculed. But through it all, friends, I want to encourage us not to lose heart in the midst of all this craziness going on around us. In particular, because of what our text today reminds us. You see, our text for today reminds us of this very important truth. That in spite of everything that is happening, and in particular, in spite of everything that is being done to the church, God is still reigning over all things. God is still reigning over all things. And we will see this truth through three points for today. Point number one, the world will hate us. The world will hate us. We are living in a time where there is a lot of hostility to Christianity. But as our text reminds us that this is not something new, this is not something strange, this is something that was happening even in the very beginning. And I want to remind us that Jesus himself warns us that the world will hate us because we are his. Now, in our text for today, we see Herod the king. That is Herod Agrippa I. Okay, this Herod is different from Herod the Great, who ruled during the birth of Jesus. This is also different from Herod Antipas, who reigned during the life of John the Baptist and Jesus. Herod the Great was, or Herod the King, Herod Agrippa I, was the king after those two guys. Now what's interesting about him is that he did have a zeal for Judaism. And it is for this reason that he ends up joining into the persecution of Christians. Now, it, just, it wasn't just religious leaders that were doing this, right? Like, before this, that's what we saw. We saw the Jewish leaders, the, the religious leaders leading the charge. We saw Saul leading the charge. Oh, well, okay, you guys didn't. But if you read Acts earlier, if you, if you know Acts, that's what was going on. The religious leaders were persecuting the Christians. Saul was persecuting Christians. But now... The secular government was joining in. Herod was currying the favor of the Jews. And we are reminded that it isn't just a select few who are hostile to Christianity, but the world is hostile to Christianity. Now, some Christians might imagine that if we really lived as the Bible tells us to live, surely wouldn't the world love us Wouldn't the world embrace embrace us? Wouldn't the world think we're awesome? But the Bible teaches that that's an incorrect perception. And there are two reasons for that. First, because of the spiritual war between Satan and God. The book of Revelation is a great book. I would encourage all of you to read it. But it does a great job of really pulling back the curtain to reveal to us What is taking place behind the scenes in the world that we are living in today? And what happens as the curtain is pulled back is that we are shown this great spiritual battle that is taking place in the world that we live in. For example, in Revelation 12, in particular, I should say, Revelation 12, we are told how Satan sought to put the seed promised in Genesis 3.15. The seed that would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent, uh, while the serpent ended up bruising his heel. Is, this is Jesus. He was seeking to put him to death. The seed, the one that would come to rescue God's people. But if you look at Revelation 12, we see that God frustrated Satan's plans. He frustrated Satan's plans. He protected Jesus. Then, we are told in Revelation 12, then the dragon became furious with the woman, the woman who had given birth to the seed. And who is this woman? It is Israel. And went off then to make war on the rest of her offspring. And who are her offspring? It is the New Testament church. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Friends, do you see what this text is saying? Satan, who is, in this time, king on the earth, king of the people of this earth, or as Jesus said, the father of the people of the world, that he is at war with God, and he is seeking to oppress and to attack God's people. Secondly, a second reason that the world is in conflict with Christianity is this, because they are rebelling against God. Now, as we see in Psalm 2, if you ever read Psalm 2, it's a great psalm. It lays out for us this important reality that the world is living in rebellion against our Creator and our King. It's living in rebellion against our creator and king. As well, we see in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve fell, or chapter 3, I should say, when Adam and Eve fell, what happened? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They rebelled against God's commandment to them to eat from that tree to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And my friends, I want you to understand, this is what's going on in the world. The world is living in rebellion against the king, against God. Meanwhile, when God saves his people, when God calls a people to himself, when he saves you and me, what what does he do? He places the Holy Spirit in us and He regenerates us and He transforms us to make us more and more like Christ. That is what is happening to every Christian. Every Christian has now the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And that Holy Spirit is doing a renovation in the believer's heart, making them more and more like Christ, who is, as we are told, In Philippians, the very image of God. In other words, that image of God, the image of the king, is being renovated, is being fixed in us. And this world that is living in rebellion against the king sees the king in us. And they hate it. This is why the world persecutes the church. These two reasons because Satan is at war with God, and because the world is in rebellion against the king, and we are bearing his image. Think about it like this. If a nation had a rebellion arising in its midst, would the representatives of the king, that is, the military, or perhaps um, governing officials, would they be welcomed by those who are rebelling against the king? Absolutely not, because those people represent the king. They are hated, they are despised. In the book of Daniel, we are told of Daniel and his friends, faithful followers of God, who sought to be faithful to God while living out their exile in Babylon. And yet, in spite of their character, because they were men of character, they were living faithfully to God's word, still there were people who sought to put them to death. First, we see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And then we see that with Daniel in the lion's den. But think about both of those stories. Think about both of those stories. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel could not be caught on charges of corruption, on charges of abusing their position, their power. The only means by which they could be caught on charges were in regards to their religion. Friends, this, is the, this ought to be the reality of every Christian, Right? that the world sees us enough for any evil that we do but purely because of our faithfulness to God are we to be persecuted now what does this mean for the christian first it means do not be shocked as if something strange were happening to you as though this is a sign that god is powerless that he's not in control Rather, as Jesus himself told his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Please do not be deceived. There are far too many Christians who imagine... That if only we explained things differently. If only we could repackage the Christian faith in, in such a way that, that people would accept us. That people would appreciate us. People who believe that are making two errors. They're first, they're forgetting the true spiritual battle that is going on around us. And secondly, they're forgetting the spiritual state of their neighbors friends, your neighbors are living in rebellion against the king. And no amount of trying to change our message will change that fact. In fact, I would argue, I would push this upon you, friends, that this is even more reason why we have to proclaim the gospel. Because it is through the gospel That God brings the dead to life. Compromising the message will not bring the dead to life. It is the gospel and the Holy Spirit who does that work. Instead, draw comfort in the fact that we are persecuted because it means that the world sees the Spirit at work in you and me, making us more and more like Christ. I hope that that comforts you. That when you are mocked for your faith, when you are ridiculed for believing in Jesus, that you take comfort knowing that the world is recognizing your king in you and his work in you. As well, be comforted because we get to suffer for Christ. The one who suffered far greater than anything we could ever suffer. He went to the cross, and as he hung upon that cross, the full weight of the wrath of God for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of every believer who has ever lived and will ever live was poured out upon him. Think about that for a second. For even one sin, that is sufficient to condemn a human to an eternity in hell. But we all know the truth that every single one of us is not guilty of just one sin. We have a multitude of sins. And we deserve to go to hell to suffer the wrath of God. And in that moment, as Christ was hanging on that tree, he experienced this full weight of the wrath of God for every sin that was committed by God's people. And he experienced it on that cross. What for us would have been an eternity in hell were we're a handful of hours. And he bore that. And what a great privilege now that we get to suffer in a small way for our king, for his namesake, for his glory. What a privilege. But please bear this in mind. May we not be persecuted for evil, okay? Let us not be persecuted because, you know, we're making weird um, statements online. May we not be persecuted for our lack of love for others. May we not be persecuted for self-righteousness. This is is especially important. May we never be persecuted for self-righteousness or being hypocritical the christian is should never be someone who's saying i am so amazing then brother sister i don't know if you understand the gospel the gospel says we are so wicked and saved by grace so how can we be self-righteous and arrogant towards others say your sin is worse than my sin May we never be persecuted for self-righteousness. May we never be persecuted for um, hypocrisy. Of course, we all understand the truth, right? That that we are going to continue to struggle with sin. But hypocrisy is saying that I don't struggle with sin, but you really do. May that never be true of us. Another thing I want to tell us about this Reality of the persecution is this that as we face that hatred of the world, let us not respond to the world with hatred. As Paul states in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good as we live in this world that is hostile let us not respond to that hostility with our own hostility and hatred and, and violence, but let us respond by proclaiming again and again the good news of the gospel. I'm reminded as I say this of the testimony of our brothers and sisters in China and hearing how as they are imprisoned, they find themselves being beaten, being being horribly hurt by the guards because they're Christian. And yet, rather than responding with bitterness and anger, they pray for these people. They share the gospel with their persecutors. And we are hearing stories coming from them of how some of these persecutors, some of these torturers themselves are coming to faith in Christ. What a beautiful example they set for us. And one last thing I want to say as an application is this. Now let me warn us. We live in a world right now in America where we don't really face that much overt persecution. Meaning like we're not being imprisoned. We're not, being, um, we're not having our buildings burned down or destroyed. Um, but that doesn't mean that the world loves us or likes us i want us to understand that even in times where the church is at peace where we're not being un- we're not under assault from the world that the world is always attacking the church the world is seeking to ch- attack our beliefs either by tv media or by like bringing in false teachers, and so on. Pressuring the church to change our beliefs, to compromise our beliefs. Telling us, you got to change with the times. Why are you so backwards? I want us to understand and to remember this, that even when the world is not overtly attacking us, it is always putting the church under pressure, under pressure to compromise our beliefs, to compromise the faith. Point number two, God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. This passage gives us this comforting reminder that no matter what is happening, God is omnipotent. In other words, he is all-powerful. As we've seen, King Herod has begun to uh, persecute the Christians in the city of Jerusalem. The Apostle James, who is the brother of John, was arrested and beheaded at the command of Herod. Seeing that this pleased the Jews, he then had Peter arrested. However, because of the timing of Peter's arrest during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he had to wait to execute Peter until after the Holy Week. So Peter was put in prison with four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now, perhaps Herod heard from the Jewish leaders the lie of how the disciples had stolen the body of Christ from the grave, and so that's why he put four squads. No one would break out Peter under Herod's watch. Meanwhile, as Herod is making his preparations, we are told this, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And we ought to ask this question, Who's going to win? Herod and his four squads of soldiers or God? Now things look bleak. You see, even while Peter sleeps, he is chained between two soldiers. And there are sentries guarding the door. But the prayer of the saints are heard. God is not stopped. An angel appears in Peter's cell and awakens him. And Peter is confused, and as we see, thinks that he is dreaming. His chains fall off, and he is told to dress himself and follow the angel. And somehow, he passes by the two sets of guards until he comes to the iron gate, which lead to freedom. And miraculously, of its own accord, it opened. And Peter finds himself outside of the prison. And it is at this moment that Peter realizes he is not dreaming but he really was delivered from the prison friends here we see uh, the regional ruler the one who ruled on behalf of the romans the most powerful man in the region now attacking the church and you might be excused to say for saying who can stand can this fledgling church of misfits really stand against such pressure and such oppression And yet we see here that even he cannot stop God's plan. That God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And God was able to deliver Peter. He is omnipotent. Now you might be like, but what about James? Where was our, our omnipotent God with James? Friends, Jesus is omnipotent when the Apostle James is put to death, as well as when the Apostle Peter escapes prison. Do not, please do not imagine that Peter was released because of the fervency of the prayer of the saints. Yes, God used their prayers, but we would not then say that James was put to death because the saints didn't pray hard enough. That would be a major mistake. Please do not think that. Rather... For James, it was time to go home. His work here was finished. And he was welcomed home with a loving embrace. Being told, well done, good and faithful servant. He left behind a life of sorrow, of suffering, of hardship. Living in a world with sin. To now dwell in the presence of the living God. Seeing him face to face. Being able to offer to him perfect worship, unlike he had ever experienced. And he knew now even more clearly and more truly the precious and matchless love of God for his people. This was God's will. It was time for James to go home, but for Peter, it was not yet time to go home. And so God, responding to the prayer of the saints, delivered Peter from prison. Friends, remember this. There came a time later on in his life when Peter was not released from prison. When Peter was taken to a Roman cross and crucified upside down in the name of Christ. And in all three of those situations, the death of James, the release of Peter, and the eventual crucifixion of Peter, Jesus is sovereign and working all things according to his good purpose and plan. You know, as I say this, I think it bears being reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1. You know, because we get so comfortable here in this world. We get so in love with this world. But this is what Paul says in Philippians 1. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this, speaking of his uh, imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored by my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. For James, it was time to go home. It was time to rest in the loving embrace of his heavenly Father. It was time to put off this sinful flesh to know a life of true joy of no longer wrestling with sin and being in the presence of God. For Peter, it was God's will that he continued to do ministry here on earth to feed the flock, to care for God's people. Remember this. This truth of the omnipotence of God. Remember this. And may it encourage you. May it encourage you as you go through life here. May it encourage us to pray. Now, some people say, if God is omnipotent and sovereign, why would we pray? He can do what He wants to do. But I would actually say this, if God were not omnipotent, then what's the point of praying to Him? If He can't do anything, then why are we praying to Him? It's the very fact that God is omnipotent that we go to Him and we cry out to Him. So let us pray to Him because He is omnipotent. He is powerful. He can do what we cannot do. May it encourage us to live more boldly, to share the gospel with our friends and to live a more holy life. For if God were not omnipotent, then the sharing the gospel would be all on you and me. But he is omnipotent. And so as we share the gospel, he can take this person who is spiritually dead and bring them to life. Praise the Lord. It's not on you and me. It's on Him. As well, as I said, let us be bold in our living of holiness. Because holy living is not on us either. It's not on you and me. It's through the Holy Spirit who is living in you and me, empowering us. It's in the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God who is changing us and transforming us. Friends, no one is sufficient for this task, but praise God because God, who is omnipotent, is living in us and working in us. And brothers and sisters, hear this comforting truth, that no matter how bleak or difficult your circumstances might seem or might get down the line, surely if God has paid such a great p- price for your life, laying down his, the life of His Son for you, he will not abandon you. And if he is omnipotent, if he is omnipotent, then whatever trials might come your way, you can be confident of this, that he allows those into your life for your good, for your good. So be comforted in your trials, knowing that he will never forsake you nor abandon you, that your trials are not a sign of that and more importantly than that, that he is using those trials for your good. Last point, God alone is worthy of worship. We are reminded here that God, the king of kings, is alone worthy of worship. Our text implicitly contrasts the kingship of Herod with God. You see, Herod was a tyrant, a king who did not fear to put to death the people of God, who were innocent of evil, He only did it for the sake of gaining the, the approval of the Jews. He was a king who executed his soldiers for failing to stop Peter from escape. Something that they could not do because it was God who delivered Peter. And a king who was a tyrant to those who did not please him. Who would withhold food from those who displeased him. But that is not our God. Our God is one who is just. He does not punish people for no reason, but he acts justly, punishing the sinner for their sins. But not only that, he is the king who shows grace and mercy to those who believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Think of Jesus. He is the king who, is willing, who was willing to die for the crimes of his people, the crimes that they committed against him for he is the great lawgiver. What kind of king is this? What kind of ruler is this? There is no ruler on earth that has ever compared to him. What an incredible king he is. As well, King Herod's power is clearly nothing in comparison to the king of kings. Herod sought to imprison Peter. God released Peter. Herod sought the praise of man. God struck Herod down for receiving praise that only he was worthy of. Brothers and sisters, our great triune king, God is the king of kings. And he is the only one who is worthy of worship. It is said that once near the twilight of his life, Franz Joseph Hayden was attending a performance of The Creation at the Vienna Music Hall. And as the piece moved along, the audience was caught up with tremendous emotion. And then, when the passage and there was light was reached, the chorus and the orchestra burst burst forth in such power that the crowd could no longer restrain its enthusiasm. The vast assembly rose to spontaneous applause. And Hayden, who at that time had been, um, because of illness, was stuck in a wheelchair. Struggled to stand in motion for silence. And with his hands pointed toward heaven, he said, No, no, not for me. But from thence comes all. Having given the glory and praise to the Creator, he fell back into his chair, exhausted. Brothers and sisters, this is our King. The only one who is worthy of worship. He is good. He is just. He is not like the kings of this earth, who are imperfect, who are fallible, who do evil, all of them who do evil, we have the one king, the one king that we are waiting for, who when he returns will reign in justice and truth and who will restore all things. He is our king. So let us worship him. Let us give praise to him. Let us learn to praise him with song. Let us learn to praise him in prayer. Let us learn to praise him with our lives. As we sing, may we carefully think about the songs that we're singing, not just mindlessly mouthing the words, but reflecting upon the truths that we are singing. As we pray, let us learn to not just bring to God our, our prayer requests, although that is important too, but let us also learn to take time to give praise to God, to give thanks to God. And then as we live our lives, may we live our lives in gratitude to our great God and King that instead of punishing us and casting us off as our sins so deserved, he instead made it possible that lawbreakers, rebels like you and me can be saved and returned once again into his kingdom. Friends, the greatest example of the truth of this text that God is still King when Christ was crucified when Christ was crucified it seemed that the world had won that God had lost but we know the truth that in the midst of this great evil God's plan was still being done may that truth comfort us that in in the midst of the evil that we see in the world in the midst of evil that may be perpetrated against you down the line that God is still in control and therefore, although we live in a world where we are constantly under pressure to compromise, to, re, uh, to reject Christ, let us continue to hold fast and to worship our God and King. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this time, for your grace in our lives, God. I thank you for this beautiful truth that you are King. And that through everything that is going on, your will is still being done. You are still reigning above. Help us, dear God, to learn to rest in that truth, to find comfort in that, and to offer to you the worship and the praise that is due your name. your Son's name we pray, amen.